You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Let's move on to the message. Would you pray with me, Father? In Jesus' name, I, I thank you for all that's coming here at ECC and in our community. I thank you for all the blessings and the generosity you have bestowed upon us. And I pray that we would not be stingy or selfish or greedy this season, but we would freely give because that's who you are. You delight in the giver. Help us to give in this season, Christmas shopping and gifts. Help us continue to give to others, to give to the kingdom movement here at ECC, God. Bless all the resources that come in this Christmas. And now would you fill my mouth, anoint my mind. Holy Spirit, say only what you have designed to say. And I pray that you would do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're going to blitz through. We're in the eighth week, the eighth week of Line It Up. So let's just look at the pipeline here. Um, Next slide. So we started with creation. Creation is all about God. Everything was for God, by God, to God, and about God, period. Then we get into Adam and Eve. They made it not about God. And that's when sin came in and the fall. We call it the fall. Why? Because we fell away from God's perfect design. And sin always brings about death, which is separation. Separation. Not only physical death, spiritual death, relational death, economic death, emotional death, relational death. Separation from God. So then we see God yet still having a plan to redeem his people, to save his people. And so he gives his promises to Abraham for all mankind, including us today. And his promises always come to pass. Do you believe that? We see the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not to be thrown out. The Old Testament is a gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. The New Testament is the gospel fulfilled. We just want to throw the Old Testament out because that's old and the law and then Jesus says, I've fulfilled it all. You don't need it. No, no, we misinterpret that. The Old Testament is the gospel. The New Testament is Jesus fulfilling the gospel. And so it's so exciting to see his promises continue. Then we see the Passover. This was absolutely a foreshadow event to point to the coming Messiah, Hundreds of years later, but God said to the Israelites who were under the bondage of the Egyptians, he said that he will deliver his people, but there was something they had to do. They had to sacrifice a blameless, spotless lamb, take the blood and put it over the doorpost of their home so that their entire home would be covered by the blood and the death angel would pass over each home that was marked by the blood. When we're marked by the blood of Jesus, 
Sin has no hold on us anymore. Death has no hold on us anymore. Sickness does not identify who we are. When we're in Jesus, our identity is Jesus. Not your sexuality, not your ethnicity, not your background, not your current situation or your circumstances. It all falls on Jesus. And your identity is Jesus. Number five, we have the law. The law is good. It's for reviving the soul, but it also points to our sin to then lead us to understand our desperate need for Jesus. That's the purpose of the law, is to give us grace in Jesus Christ. Then we have the kingdom. We need to understand that there's two kingdoms now because of the fall. There's man's kingdom and there's God's kingdom. Man's kingdom will crumble and once and for all at some point will become nothing. And God will redeem it and build his kingdom. That's why the wonderful Handel's Messiah Christmas song says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah, participate, it's good. Yeah, and so then we see the tabernacle two weeks ago. If you did not see that message, you gotta download it and listen to it because it has everything to do about how we approach God and how we worship him today. The difference is there is no longer a building, a temple where God dwells. The building in the temple is our hearts where his presence through his Holy Spirit dwells. You are walking billboards. You are walking temples of the living God. Is his spirit hovering? That temple. That's the key. We get to benefit from the God of the universe dwelling inside of us. Does he dwell inside of you? If so, is he on a shelf or is he in a locked room? Have you given the Holy Spirit access to your mind, your emotions, your will, your body, your everything? Because that's when God's spirit can have full access. And that's when you become a living tabernacle to God. This week, this week, we're looking at the Psalms. The Psalms of David, there's other writers, but we usually think of David, King David, when we come to the Psalms. And can you read that phrase under Psalms with me loud and clear? Ready? One, two, three, go. God. Can you do it one more time? Ready? God delights in our praise, in the messiness of life. That is so true. And today I'm just going to title the message this. Fellowship in the mess. 2022, for many, a mess. You're looking forward to 2023. Life has been a mess. Loss, sickness, unresolved conflict, division, bitterness, hurt, betrayal, 
loss of a job. Relational strife. Family difficulties. You name it. It's a mess. But here at Elevation, we like to say it this way. We want to be real and raw in our mess. Because when we're real to our mess, we can be real to the hope that Jesus gives us. And when we start to allow that real hope to live within us, then our relationships become real. Then we start to grow like Jesus in a real way. And then all of a sudden, baptisms, people coming to the Lord is the fruit of real life change. That's fellowship in the mess. And the Psalms is all about life, the high mountaintops and the very low, dark valleys of life. We've all been through them. Some of you are on the high mountain right now. Some of you are in the darkest valley. And so, excuse me for crunching there. I apologize. Um, but I want to give you just a few background nuggets about Psalms so that we can understand as we, as we read the Psalms what this is all about. So the Psalms, the Hebrew word for Psalms was actually written to say songs of praise or songs of praises, which comes to a surprise for many of you because you're like, I've read the Psalms. Those aren't praises. <laughs> Those are crying out to the Lord. Those are saying, God, why are you angry at me? Those are saying, God, what in the world are you doing? That's not praise. But the beautiful thing is when you fellowship in the mess with God and he walks with you in every moment, your life becomes a praise to God in the good and in the bad. So unlike the Hebrew title, Songs of Praises, just know this, not every song was written to music and not every psalm was written to be sung. Some of it was written to just have a personal meaning to the writer. Some of it was to literally just be uh, um, read or spoken. But this was interesting because songs, psalms, not songs of praise, but psalms became the title once the Greek translation took the Hebrew and took it over. So that's why we got that switch from songs of praises to psalms. So it's also important to understand that the biblical culture in which this was written is completely different than our Western culture. We have to understand that in order to comprehend the power and the beauty of the psalms. And so, for instance, the Hebrew culture... The Hebrew culture translates fellowship. We hear the word fellowship. What do you think of? We think of getting together. A lot of times we say fellowship is as good as just uh, having a potluck at church, or we come in, we sit down, we have our service, and we leave, and we call that fellowship. A lot of times we get together with one another, and we talk about sports, and we talk about the weather, and we call that fellowship. could be part of it, but it's not what the Hebrew culture looks at the word fellowship. So here, the Hebrew culture, they meet in homes. They have meals together. It is an all-day event. Here in the Western culture, we don't have meals anymore. We have fast food frenzies. Do we not? Or is it just me? No. We're generally speaking in the Western culture today, normally we're rushing our way through meals. 
Whether rushing through our, the drive-through, eating at the table while watching TV or someone on vi- device, cramming down food, eating separately in order to jet to the next sport, the next dance, the next thing, the next meeting, on the gauntlet of our schedules. Meals have become a necessity for fuel. Where fellowship in the Hebrew culture was a necessity, meals were a necessity for relationship. And this is important as we go on because we're talking about fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia. It means to have in common, and it also means to share. As those who are united with Christ, we are to share the life of Christ with one another in a way that results in individual and corporate spiritual growth. I think it's interesting, and please don't take me the wrong way. Uh, If I come across wrong, just clarify it with me afterwards, but I think in the American church, or maybe even in just churches across the globe, sometimes I think people think that the pastor's job is to connect with every single person in the church and to have this kind of koinonia and fellowship. I think it's important to have that. But we can't constantly have this kind of koinonia just in a Sunday one-hour service. That's why it's important that you meet other people. That's why it's important that you're involved in either a ministry team or a real-life community to live life together. Fellowship, koinonia, as God designed, is not on anyone else's shoulders, but yours. That's the beautiful thing is you get to choose. But the priorities that you put in place also come with consequences. Are you growing closer to people and growing closer to the Lord? Or are you growing further away from people and further away from the Lord? Fellowship is so important. This is why Matthew says about fellowship with God. Fellowship, remember, that word means to have in common or to share. This is what Jesus says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is fellowship driven and guided through this kind of love. And so as I make our statement about fellowshipping with one another, this sermon is actually about fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Let me just even ask you, where's your relationship, fellowship time with God? Where is that in your life today? Is it based on a Sunday to Sunday thing? Is it all consuming in every moment of your life? Or is it, when you turn on the Christian radio, where is your relationship with God? Because I pray that as we go through the Psalms today, that this will draw you closer into relating with God through the mess of life. I believe that God is calling us back. He's calling us back to value not only true fellowship with one another, but fellowship with God, having common with God, sharing with God. That means allowing God to pour out his love on you as well as you pouring out your everything and your love and your affection and your cries and your anguish 
and your disappointment and your anger to the Lord. And allow him to minister to you as you minister to him. And so today's purpose in fellowship in the mess is this. I'm gonna walk you through three key themes that we see in the Psalms. Three key themes. Wisdom, lamenting, and praise. And these three key themes, I want you to ask these two questions. I believe they're on the screen. Thank you so much. I want you to ask every Psalm we read, what does this say about who God is? And what does this say about who I am in him? And the second question, we're gonna look at the psalmist. They express whatever they're feeling and whatever they're going through, but there is always, always a response to God. What is your response to God in situations like you're seeing in the psalms? Because I believe if we allow the psalms the Holy Spirit to use the Psalms to breathe deep into us, we're going to see that our responses to God in the different moments of life, they need to change in order to expect God to move in our lives. And so let's go to the first theme. Oh, remember this, by the way, just a note. God's not concerned with our circumstances as much as he is concerned about your response of your heart to him. God is not as concerned with your circumstances as he is what you do with them and how you respond. And we'll see in a moment that a lot of times the psalmist, if they don't respond to God, their cries for mercy turn to complaints and bitterness, and unforgiveness. So the key today is the response of our heart to God. So the first one is wisdom. Wisdom. The Bible talks all about wisdom. It is one of the most important themes of the entire Bible. And so if that word is important, it's it is so crucial for us to understand what it means. A lot of people think wisdom is knowledge. It's not. They're two different words. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true. Friends, we're in a culture that says nothing is true anymore. Whatever you want it to be is true. That's not wisdom. That's foolishness and it's demonic. It's from Satan himself who led to our demise of sin through lies. Do you realize that? Satan works through basically one course of action, lies. He's the father of lies. And so wisdom that only God grants allows us to see what is true. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience without being wise. You can have knowledge and not wisdom. 
But if you have wisdom, you also have knowledge. You see, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it in its holster. That's wisdom. So let's look at two psalms. You can turn to your psalms, turn to the first psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Go ahead and turn there. For those of you who don't have a Bible app on your phone, I really encourage you to do that, have that at at your access Whenever there's a great one called Holy, just Holy Bible, and it's U version, U version, it's a great one. But there's many, many excellent resources out there. Wisdom, Psalm one. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the do not follow the wicked, or stand around sinners. This is what we're talking about. The knowledge of the world is foolishness. Oh, the joys. You want joy? Here it is. Don't follow the foolishness of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight, they delight in the word of God. That word delight refers to a devotion and a priority because of a value. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Those who do that are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. This, many scholars say, this is a reference to the Garden of Eden, communion with God. So when we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it and we pursue him, we are like the garden trees planted in the garden of Eden. Bearing fruit every season, even in the winter. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This is wisdom. Wisdom. Where is that? Can you go back? Where is that in your life? Where is that? Let's go to the next slide. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass, they'll soon fade away. And like spring flowers, they soon will wither. Wither. Here's the key now. Trust in the Lord and do good. This is our response. Who is God in this scripture? Well, he's in control, isn't he? He's over all of it, even the wicked, and he will have his righteous way. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Doesn't everyone want that in their lives? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the Maserati your heart desires. I did a study uh, when I was, I think it was second year of being married to Lauren, and I, I, we were in Pennsylvania, and I did a study on this passage. It's Psalms 37, by the way, 1 through 7, Psalms 37. When you look at that word delight, 
I was very surprised as I looked at the concordance of the Hebrew word delight, and it really didn't mean to take joy or to be happy. That word, in this specific Hebrew word, means to be pliable. To be pliable means allowing God to mold and shape you. Then your heart's desires will be given to you by the Lord who molds your heart. That's the key. This isn't about a prayerless checklist of God, I want this, I need this, I need this. It's God, make me who you want me to be. God, take away the desires in my heart that focus on self and me and put in the desires that exalts you. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see you. Then he says, I will give you your heart's desire. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiant like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the new day sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stay right there. Stay right there. On this slide right here, what is your response? Out of these words that you see right now, trust. Be still. Wait patiently. And don't worry. What wisdom do you need to receive today from the Lord? Take 30 seconds and just ask the Lord, Lord, I need your wisdom to trust you. I need your wisdom and your guidance to stop worrying. Do that now. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. The second thing is lamenting. We don't use that word often. Yeah, today I was at home lamenting. We don't, we don't hear that. Some people call it travailing. This is literally just a deep cry of expressing your emotions through the deep and darkest valleys. In many different foreign countries, I was in Ethiopia in 2000, and we passed by this pavilion, and there were people screaming. I thought there was a murder or something, just weeping and wailing. And finally, we asked our host, and they said, a woman lost her son, and they are lamenting for three days. Three days, constant weeping, wailing. And then after those three days, three days, three days, they get up 
and they move on. It's lamenting. Now, understand, many of us don't express emotions that way. That is okay. I am not saying that the Psalms demands us to lament that way. But what I am saying is that God has given you emotion. How you respond to that emotion is what's most important. Some of you are absolutely deep feelers. You feel deeply. Some of you don't have feelings. (laughs) And you're just fine with that, right? But we have to understand that God has given us emotions. God is a God of emotion. But the most important thing, if we're talking about fellowship, is that God just wants you to be real with him. If you're complaining to others, why aren't you complaining to God? If you're going to others to find affirmation and to cry to, why aren't you going to God? He wants you to be who you are, especially deep through the deepest, darkest valley. Because honestly, if you've been through it and you've embraced God through the darkest times, you can say, that is where I experience God more than I've experienced him on the mountaintop. It's in the loneliness. It's in the grieving. It's in the questions. It's in the confusion that we press into God more. And he shows himself to us. Let's look at this. And as we read, as we read to recognize the deep inward cry, as we read the psalm, try to recognize the deep cry within the psalms as well as then the psalmist's response to God. And I think for some of us, it'll slap us in the face in how we respond to God in the darkest times. Psalm 130, Psalm 130, verse one through two. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Have you been there? Are you there? And when you get there, will you respond in this way? Our culture, especially in the woke culture, always looks for someone to blame. And now we surround the victim And we accuse the one in authority, God. This is very clear here. God, I'm in anguish, but you're the only hope I have. So I pray right now that your ears would be attentive to my prayers because if these prayers are answered, I don't know how I'm going to move on. That's very different than what our world preaches today. Psalm 118, no, forgive me, forgive me, Psalm 51. Now, this is a different lamenting. This is crying out to the Lord after David had an affair with Bathsheba, after he did wrong. He was absolutely where he wasn't supposed to be, doing what he wasn't supposed to do. He knew what he was doing, and he did it anyways. And then to cover up, The scheme, 
he sends Bathsheba's husband into the front lines to get killed. So now bloodshed is on his hands. And he's in his kingdom castle, and the prophet Nathaniel shows up and says, the Lord says, you have done wrong. You have blood on your hands. You have committed a deep sin. And most kings in that day actually would probably persecute and kill that prophet and say, to heck with you. And they're more concerned about preserving their reputation and their namesake. This is why I believe one of the reasons why King David is called a man after God's own heart is he allows the conviction of the Lord to penetrate deep in his heart to where he says this, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh God, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. That's repentance. Are you broken over your sin? Brokenness leads to repentance. Why? Because of God's kindness. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt, oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's lamenting in a biblical design of fellowship with God. Can we go to the next scripture? Is it on there? Then David says this in verse 17. He says this, the sacrifice, remember they're in a sacrificial system right now with the tabernacle. So it's all about presenting sacrifices for your sins. The sacrifice, God, you desire is not an animal, not the blood of goats or lamb. The sacrifice you want from me is a broken and repentant heart. Oh, God, you will not despise I want to say this. Unconfessed sin. And this may be a horrible illustration, but I couldn't think of anything else. Unconfessed sin is like putting a clear coat of ghost pepper hot sauce on your plate. And then literally taking Gordon Ramsay's perfect meal and putting it upon that plate. Unconfessed sin seeps through everything that is placed upon that plate. And so it is in our lives. 
unconfessed sin in the dark. Do you know that nothing good grows in the dark? Nothing good grows in the dark. And it seeps through the layers of our soul. And it creates unforgiveness, bitterness, arrogance, pride, selfish ambition, jealousy. And James, uh, James chapter five, or excuse me, James chapter three says it's demonic. Unconfessed sin leads to uncontrolled anger. And I'll go as far to say unforgiveness is just like that hot sauce on a plate. So we need to get right. Bitterness, bitterness in your life, friends, if not confessed and released to the Lord is like walking through poison oak and not immediately washing to get the oils off your skin. If you don't repent and you don't come to God and lament and seek the Lord in repentance, that unconfessed sin and bitterness is going to seep into your soul. And it's gonna affect how you respond to God. And so before we go to the last one, I want to ask you, what is it in your life that is unconfessed or unforgiven that you need to today surrender to the Lord? Today, scrub yourselves of the poison that has seeped into your heart. Today, begin to release the sin just like David did and said, against you and against you alone, God, I have sinned. What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Your response. And lastly, we see wisdom, we see lamenting and repentance, and then we see praise. Praise. A lot of people think worship is the same as praise. It's not. I think they're related. Worship is a state of your heart. Worship is the posture of your heart. When the band comes up in a moment, You can literally sit there still and as stiff as a board and you can still worship God because he's right here. Don't ever judge another person who's not worshiping like you are. They are connecting with God in their own way. That's worship. Is your heart in a reverent place connecting with God? Praise is very different. It's an action word. You cannot praise God by doing nothing. You can't. You can worship him. But the Psalms is all about praise. In the valley and on the mountaintop. And you cannot praise without doing something. Whether it's a gesture, whether it's an expression, whether it's a movement, praise is an action that comes out of our pure heart of worship. 
How long has it been since you have responded to God in a form of praise? Let's look at these scriptures. Psalms 150. This is my defense right here. Praise the Lord. By the way, you you who have been here for my messages, you know what the yellow means, right? Will you lead it? Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Yeah. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Next one. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalms 100. Shout to the Lord. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. That's an action word. Shout. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing and with joy. Gladness. Action. Expressed. Singing with joy. Expressed. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks. And Psalms 1. Thank you. Psalms 150 ends the book of Psalms. And it's all praise to God. And the last verse of Psalms 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We're gonna give you an opportunity to praise him. Whether it's clapping, whether it's raising your hands, whether it's singing a song, whether it's just declaring the goodness of God, whether it's bowing your knee, whether it's just hugging the person next to you and embracing them as you worship God together. So band, you can come on up. But our response, friends, our response, and I pray the Holy Spirit leads you into a time of praise like you haven't done in a while. But our response, why do we praise? Well, because God is good and he does good things in my life. Yeah, but you may be right now in a place where you don't see the goodness of God in your life. That's called faith. You have to believe that he is good. When nothing in your life is going good. Right? Praise him anyway, because God is good all the time, and all the time. Okay, so I'm going to get pumped up in praise, because this we have, to, we have to sometimes preach to our soul to get off our tush and to start to praise him. We have to warm up just like a car this morning. Uh, One of the the tech people told me that uh, the tarp over their car was solid like ice stuck to the car. And so it's like you got to warm up the car a little bit to pull off the dead weight that is stuck to you. So are you ready? This is why we worship. Even in our sin, God didn't give up on us. He's the creator of all things and everything is good and for his purpose. His promises. If you haven't caught it, I'm going through the line it up themes, okay? 
Why do we worship God? Because he's the creator and author of everything. Why do we worship God? Because even in our sin, he never gave up on us. Why do we worship God? Because his promises are for our good and he will never ever fail or leave us or forsake us. We worship him because his word and his law is truth and it anchors us to him. We praise God because he loved us unconditionally and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become our sacrificial lamb for our sins. We worship and praise God because we now have a new and living way, a new and living way to approach God because he passed over our sin. Anyone want to praise God for that? We praise God, the lamb who was slain for the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and he will reign forever. Anyone listening that's wanting to praise the Lord this morning, is it just me? We praise God that through Jesus Christ, we are his temple. We are his dwelling place where Jesus resides. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Who's going to be raised this morning? We praise God because the Lord is faithful. He's patient. He's merciful. He comforts us in the lowest valley. He's our light in our darkness. He's our strength when we have none. He is the mighty way maker when there seems to be no way. And so we give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Say that with me. We give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Praise the Lord! Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.